2: It's me, your wizard. Hold it. Come on with me.
3: And I'm Munch. I'm a southern weird (laughs) fish man that (laughs) flippy flops around. I'm very... I'm not a good idea for a popular sequel character. I'm <laughs> really a mistake for all around for me to be the face of the franchise. <laughs> and right. we're voiced by the same guy. Everyone in our universe is voiced by the same
2: guy. And he's a bruiser, and his name's Jake Young. Let's okay, yes, that.
3: also I'm a bruiser, and my name is Jake.
2: <laughs> Yo, welcome to our episode on Oddworld. Uh, this was very fun to do. Very, very fun to do, uh, because... It is this weird, it feels like this bastard stepchild of (laughs) games that only certain people really caught on to. And other people just like who are into games like know that it exists and understand that it's probably even pretty good but never quite got around to picking it up. And uh, I'm going to say never a better time to -hmm. enjoy Oddworld than right now because they just released their remake of Abe's Exodus called Soulstorm, and uh, it's fucking awesome, (laughs) and thank God it's awesome because we definitely decided to do this episode for two reasons. One, because uh, it was a Patreon-donated one from back in the day, and we're we're catching up on those and finishing those out, Uh, so thank you so much to Genji, oh my God, this is Genji's Well, thank you so much, Genji, for your unbelievable support over this since for a very long time since we've been doing this podcast. Thank you, thank you, Genji. Who says, I'd love for you both to just scream bees since I really love both of your screaming character voices. One, two, three, bees. Bees! With more feeling, come on, for Genji, come on. Bees. (laughs) Bees. Oh, is it like a Nick Cage? Please, Uh, thank you so much, Genji, for your support. We love you. And uh yeah, here we go. Abe's Odyssey, the Oddworld series, and uh Oddworld Inhabitants, the little game dev company that could that has actual, genuine, like good moral approach to <laughs> gaming, who wants to who who respects their own IP and has held on to it through thick and thin, even with EA. EA's meddling into their lives and almost stripping them of all everything Oddworld. This is such a fascinating story, so please stick with us because uh, even if you're not a fan of Oddworld, of Abe's Odyssey, and uh, all these wonderful games that we'll talk about in more detail, um, the, the, the heart behind it all is really spectacular, and I think something anyone could enjoy, no matter whether or not, you, if you've even heard of this property before.
3: Yeah, I was not a PlayStation kid, like, at all, and it was very, you know, yeah, Abe's Odyssey was one of the best sellers on the PlayStation, it got that green Greatest Hits release, and uh, it was always just kind of emblematic of that 32-bit era, it was also emblematic of kind of the growing pains of the HD era with the Xbox and the Xbox 360, and how the series kind of, like, fell off uh, from the popular mindset, but... The weirdness of it, I always just thought, like, it was, I honestly thought the game was European. That is how weird the game is, kind of falling into that uh, flashback, another world, puzzle platformer legacy, where it was just one uh, weird kind of auteur kind of programming it on his own. And I just never quite understood the appeal to it. And having now played New and Tasty and Stranger's Wrath and um, a little bit... Of uh, uh, by little bit I mean I just watched uh all the cutscenes from all the other games. It's amazing how deliberate and every single kind of bizarre choice and weird character design all leads back to like a very specific decision made by very specific people at yeah. very in a very specific order to the point where it all kind of makes sense now. It all kind of clicks into place.
2: Yeah, it's 100% a an auteur work, which is really cool to see. It's, it's just the opposite of cynical. In fact, it's actually really trying to push these ideals of, you know, uh, fighting back against industries that beat down the working class and, um, you know, talking about addiction and talking about how institutions – create addictions in in societies in order to keep control over the lower class all this stuff is what's as What's happening in the storyline of these games? Also, what's really cool about it is these are film people. These are people coming from CGI film backgrounds and applying that to video games. And they essentially pushed video games forward back in this time so much and were one of the first people. I always talk about how, you know, when I first played like Metal Gear Solid, and it's so funny to look back at it now because it's so chonky and pixely and blocky and awkward but you know seeing opening credits in a video game and then like seeing like a filmic intro to a game that was really novel around the time of the Playstation and uh, Oddworld was like super on the cusp of that uh, development of being like hey let's try as hard as we can to make cutscenes that feel like they completely fluidly transition into gameplay so you feel like you're just playing this seamless filmic story thing and that's more the experience and uh and also trying to push obviously uh you know their own um ideals and things into into oh their God. video games the opening sequence
3: uh of Abe's Odyssey even in the original low res PlayStation FMV is incredibly evocative is incredibly uh makes like bold statements about capitalism because we have Abe a floor washer kind of stumble into all the CEOs literally kind of saying like, Oh, we're going to grind up our workforce and feed them (laughs) to cover our asses. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he represents this kind of like feudal enslaved figure that like, uh, has to become a revolutionary for his own survival. Uh, and he's, and, even with all that like serious stuff happening it's the game is goofy as hell the universe yes, is full of tons humor. of
2: humor they have to do you know they're, they're taking that note from pixar of you know let's let's infuse this very serious Subject matter with a lot of comedy in order to make it more palatable, and they do such a good job with that. And again, like, honestly, this new game, this Soulsborne game, it, if you want the experience of Soulstorm, did I say Soulsborne? Yes. Um, yeah, if you want is, a new it experience. It can get
3: difficult, so you, it is, in yeah. a way, a Soulsborne <laughs>
2: Oh, dude, by the way, big apologies to the Tim and Eric fans out there because apparently the entire episode I said Tim and Eric, good job, instead of Tim and Eric, great job. And also, Jake never corrected me, so he's in on this issue as well. And I've heard your words of concern and frustration on the social media platforms. And I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on, let me just say, each, in my
3: defense, I was too hyped up on energy drinks and nicotine pouches to even remotely register that I was a human being alive in the world, let alone a misspoken verbal typo.
2: I was so dosed up on marijuana legal marijuana edibles (laughs) and I thought we were doing an episode on Mel Brooks and I apologize. Uh, I didn't even realize when
3: you did that 15 minute tangent about Dracula dead and loving it but I just let (laughs) it ride man because honestly it needed to be said.
2: (laughs) We'll get to that episode someday but back to Oddworld, Oddworld Inhabitants Um, yes uh, even with this new game it is, uh, it, it, or, or definitely with this new game, you see what they were aiming for back then, and you see them phenomenally executing it now. And what's really cool is it it's one of those meta stories where they're always telling this story about being trapped by industry, being not, you know, trying to free themselves from industry constraints, and then you actually watch them do it in real life by getting out from under publishers, by embracing digital delivery once that became more of a thing, and actually finding their own creative freedom to create really fucking good product that was being stifled by by publishers being like, we need a sequel right now, we need it yesterday, we need it by holiday season, we, you know, oh, um, you know, th- going in this direction creatively isn't what we want, we just want you to keep pumping up the same hit over and over again until it becomes so diluted that people don't care about it anymore, and them fighting back against that has been really cool to see, and we'll get into that story as well. But without further ado, Jake, I think it's time to talk about Oddworld and the Abe saga. Of course, Abe is not our only main character, character in these games but people know Abe the best with Abe's Exodus and Abe's Odyssey. He's not
3: the main character. He's just the character in the most games that most people remember and then uh, when they decided to tell stories about characters who aren't Abe, the entire franchise almost disappeared. It's fine. Mm. It's fine. No, it's It's fine. fine.
2: But let's talk about it. Oddworld Inhabitants is the name of the dev company. And this was a company that was founded in 1994 by Lorne Lanning. Remember that name, Lorne Lanning and Sherry McKenna. These are the two major key players through the whole tale we have to tell. Fascinating people. Lanning was an artist that studied photo realism and commercial illustration at the School of Visual Arts in New York City and later went to the California Institute of the Arts where he got a BFA in character animation. <laughs> and in the 80s, he discovered 3D computer graphics and very much so tried to find work in that field at the time. But this is such a funny thing to think about. At the time, there were like three companies specializing in 3D computer graphics. It was so impossible to get a, the, the jobs didn't exist for what he was trying to get into. At the
3: okay. Time. So Lauren, uh, Lauren Lanning has the gift of gab. He, there's a reason why he was able to fund all these games. And that is if you get in the room with him, he is going to weave you a tale. And he has like honed his life story. So finely into at, at this point I, doing research, I think there was like multiple two hour plus interviews with the guy where he went through every yeah, step.
2: he like He's down to chat.
3: And it's interesting because he grew up kind of a lonely kid. He found himself seeking solace in nature. Uh, his dad was uh, in the Navy and was often away on submarines during the Cold War. And he found himself in New York City studying photorealistic illustration and painting uh, at an exact time where this is the 80s and he's in Alphabet City. And the downtown art scene is all about, like, performance art and abstract art and daring modern art. And he's kind of, like, at a loss for what to actually do with it. He's drawing, like, fantasy illustrations. He's kind of just floating around. He tells a very, like, telling – he tells a very telling story about um, how he ended up meeting a fancy art critic and one of his, like, art heroes who was this – amazing crossover sensation who did like movie posters and art direction for major motion pictures, as well as having like a successful gallery painting career all on his own. And he walks into a small time Coke dealers apartment that uh, Lauren Lanning was also in, in the eighties in New York city for unrelated reasons, I'm sure. And he brings with him uh, a famous art critic for like New York magazine. And he, Chats And the topic of his portfolio comes up and he has it with him and he starts showing off like to his heroes and a big tastemaker, his drawings of like barbarians and aliens and like landscapes and all this stuff. And the critic, she just starts laying into him being like, so you clearly have the skills, but why isn't your art about anything? Is are you the phrase that is burned into my head is are you so impotent that the world leaves no effect on you that you feel that you have nothing to say about it? <laughs>
2: Jeez. And that shakes him to his core. And he, but he did not become Hitler. Instead, he made really good video games. Um,
3: he <laughs> Yeah. So he graduates and he kind of begins to have this fascination with education and storytelling. He's like writing down concepts. He's drawing more fantasy illustrations and he, Claims that Jim Henson and Sesame Street is his influence, that the power of media to kind of imbue children with lessons is a positive force in the world. The idea is, you know, he was this lonely kid in the middle of nowhere and he learned to read through Sesame Street, even though Sesame Street never was like, it's time for class. Like, no, they just had fun puppets on screen and those lessons were imbued in him. And so he became fascinated with computer graphics. Uh, He moves to the West Coast. And at that exact second, there's a giant bust in the computer graphics industry, which is still very, very much in its infancy. Uh, the other co-creator, co-founder of Oddworld Inhabitants, Sherry McKenna is actually involved in part of this where one of the major studios is embroiled in a giant controversy around the creation of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, where the company that uh, Sherry McKenna worked for, uh, basically cheated paramount out of millions of dollars and caused a big blowout kits, uh, lawsuits, countersuits, and the biggest company working on it uh, just kind of went under uh, in a weird kind of uh c- c- crossover. That same movie is where Pixar got its first start as the digital mm. CG uh, department of industrial light and magic. But uh, it left Lanning studying at uh, Cal arts in computer graphics uh, having access to eighty thousand dollar machines and eighty thousand dollar software, and diving into this thing at a stage where that isn't immediately accessible to
2: a lot of people. So yeah, to, to find work, he he ends up getting a lot of experience in aerosm in an aerospace computer program, which is actually what leads to his first job out of school.
3: This is insane. He at his job interview, he showcased a series of like alien flying spaceships that he described as like a swarm of sperm. <laughs> just like giant headed things with like a little tail on the end flying around. And the people at the aerospace firm who wanted like cool 3d graphics for their presentations were like, how did you do that? And he explained like, Oh, I just drew it, animated it, and then uh, copied over each frame of animation with an individual 3d. He's just describing like, he doesn't actually know how to do live 3d animation. And they still were like, that's amazing. (laughs) He's working for the same uh, aeronautics firm. That's like, helping the fucking Reagan administration put together Star Wars. And specifically, he's putting together presentations for generals. And I know this is a huge tangent, but this like burned into my yeah, head. It's
2: really interesting. Yeah.
3: You know, those, you know, like in an 80s movie or like even now, when the big military honchos or the big important like heads of state are all gathered around a table and there's a full 3D animation of what's about to happen. And you think to yourself like, Oh, did the art department just have some guy make a full 3D animation for this room full of people? Turns out, in the 80s, the answer was yes, because all these generals <laughs> who didn't understand computers, didn't understand right. lasers, didn't understand GPS, didn't understand any of this stuff, would be nod their heads and be like, uh, uh, uh. Then Lauren Lanning would come in with his cool three d animation of a missile hitting a
2: spaceship, and they'd be like, "Wow, half a billion dollars!" <laughs> well, as my grandmother always said, "Never try to explain a laser to a general <laughs> it is the it is the age old proverb of of just absolutely damnable uh, attempts to explain lasers in general. Uh, Yes, that was the TRW Engineering Visualization Lab in California, by the way, if anybody was curious the specific spot he was working at. But of course, not very creatively fulfilling. He's just kind of learning how to throw things together on the fly, like you just said, do the technical aspect. But he wants to utilize his BFA in character animation, so he then gets a job at Rhythm and Hughes Studios in Hollywood, which is an animation and visual effects company that would eventually get the academy award for best visual effects in 2005 for the film babe however landing would be long gone by then but while working at rhythm and hughes studios landing meets producer sherry mckenna and gets her a job there and later convinces her to co-found a video game development company with him in 1994 landing said she was the quote go-to person in computer graphics and a pioneering producer in visual effects and also she came from money which was helpful probably
3: uh, Sherry McKenna for all the like, uh, hippie dippy kind of proto Jim Henson vibes that Lauren Lanning wants to give off about the power of media and the power of stories. Sherry McKenna is a no nonsense head of like, she is the head being in charge. She does not take shit. Uh, her most recent interview was a two hour thing about her high intensity workouts. <laughs> She's been one of the, Faces of uh, computer animation since the 1980s. She's worked on a million different things. And she's definitely, like, for all of his pie in the sky, whatever, Sherry is the one who actually, like, makes sure that things are on schedule, that funding is secured. She's the one that, like, keeps things in check. And she has been, uh, honestly, you know, probably as, like, a woman in a male-dominated industry like CG animation, she's had to be tough in order to survive like that. But it's kind of this unlikely duo of this very verbose, kind of like crunchy uh, auteur guy and this like no nonsense businesswoman who can lift twice my body weight over her head in a single cleaning (laughs) job.
2: He also said she was the first person he met in Hollywood, which was no nonsense, and spoke her mind about a product straight out. And that's what he wanted. He wanted somebody who's going to shoot him straight. He shoots everyone straight it really seems as well it, like like we've already mentioned it but i mean he's great in interviews <laughs> he really just tells it like it is he's very open about everything he seems very like committed and and straight up and and honest and that's a very cool thing so lanning feeling that after working with 3d animation film and tv it was going to hit video games in a big way which it was about to do and he asked mckenna to partner up on a dev company especially once he heard about this badass new video game console sony was working on called the playstation so he sits cherry down and shows her doom on a PC but she was definitely resistant at first she she eventually agreed as long as he got the startup money himself So, at this point, he already has a concept of Abe and his journey in mind for the first game. With no real experience in the gaming industry, still, Lanning found that he was super experienced in 3D computer animation, more so than the others. So, as he's going around and pitching this game to different people, he's noticing that he has a couple things going on. He's got this really strong background in 3D computer animation, which at the time, everybody else was more used to working on consoles like the SNES and the Sega Genesis and 2D... Uh, computer animation and pixels and and sprites. Um, rather, just sprites, and um, also that he has this filmic background, which, again, not a lot. He's noticing as he's talking to these people in various rooms, these publishers and whatnot, nobody else really seems to have, and and that's when he really starts clicking in, like, hey, I've got something to bring to games right now that no one's got.
3: He is uniquely suited for this exact second because he saw the technology curve leaning towards the idea of workstation-level graphics on home consoles, he has a photo uh, realistic illustri- and painting background. And what that means is even with the um, limited resources and limited uh, specifications of even high end, uh, you know, Silicon Graphics workstations, the lighting uh, simulations, the textures, like everything that you think you need to make a scene realistic uh, was still like not fully simulated yet so he you know you need to have an internal model of how light bounces off things how color reacts to light how different uh shadows can play across different surfaces and that you need to be a photorealistic painter to make what you know is very simple polygonal models feel that fleshed out and uh realistic not only that while he was studying computer animation and doing all this he was uh devouring industry stuff about like latest trends in CGI and he actually became obsessed with trying to get organic forms to look realistic in mm. proto early CG having had his mind blown by Jurassic Park and uh, Industrial Line Magic at the time Hell so yeah. he was you know, in a, in a stage where a lot of FMVs, even the cool CG ones, were very stiff. Think like Tekken 2 at the time with all those like stiffly animated, poorly composed cutscenes. Even just test footage of Abe and of the Odd World scenario was leagues above anything else that was uh, available at the time and anything that publishers were seeing at the time.
2: So, he manages to pull together $3.5 million in investments to get the show going for Oddworld inhabitants. And so they move to the city of San Luis Obispo in California and get it going. But uh, so, for this first game, Oddworld's Abe's Odyssey, Lanning eventually decides, oddly enough, <laughs> that he will not actually be making a 3D game fully. Instead, it is a 2D platform game uh, because he saw how poor the quality of 3D on current consoles uh, and PC were, which is True. And in fact, Sherry McKenna was hesitant when he showed her Doom just because of how dreary and grubby, you know, grungy uh, that that game looked. And I totally get it. But it's like, okay, we can bring like a 3D aesthetic to a 2D 2D game and make it look really good. Uh, and that's how we'll maybe attack this, which is essentially what they do. So they they take pre-rendered 3D bitmaps and use flip screens to make a flip book effect for things like the digital paintings used as the background on each screen. Uh, so the title was actually originally for that first game called Soulstorm and it was the publisher GT Interactive that they were working with that got the name changed later in development. The game tells the story of Abe, one of a hundred Mudokan creatures enslaved by industrious Gluckan creatures in a meat processing plant called Rupture Farms on the planet Oddworld. When the Gluckans find that the wildlife used to create their meat products are becoming extinct, they decide to use the muticons uh, in their next product, forcing Abe to escape the plant and rescue his friends. So, if if you think really hard about it. You can see how there's like an anti-capitalistic message in that plotline. I know it's very diluted and it's very hard to pick out, but in there. It's
3: definitely not that the Gluckins are actual <laughs> cigar-chomping mobsters who all
2: talk <laughs> like this and we're going <laughs> to grind them up and make
3: them into muticon
4: pops. I love money. Hey, Mom. First things first. Thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me.
2: So, yeah, it's definitely obviously about third world exploitation, the destruction of the environment as well, and the negative impact of the fast food industry on humanity, uh, and also the diamond trade. You just throw that in there as well. Just a lot of those things. It's interesting because
3: reading interviews, it's very apparent that Lorne wanted the Oddworld game to kind of be a stepping stone to full film production. Like, the... The goal in of itself was always to make movies, and he saw the uh, relative cost of creating a game as way, way cheaper than creating a fully formed uh, CG movie, but it was a great way to showcase that what his studio was capable of, uh, the IP potential of his ideas, and to make money while doing it. And uh, working with Sherry, uh, even to this day, she has a gigantic distaste for violent games. She
2: does not want game like. Uh, That's kind of funny, considering Oddworld's pretty over the top.
3: It's, I mean, the fact that you can possess uh, sligs and then um, explode them with your mind doesn't, whatever, <laughs> you know. And as part of uh, Lauren's ideals as well, they kind of made their bed before they had to lie in it by dedicating themselves to a nonviolent game, because then they had to figure out what that means. Because, yes. uh, as Lauren explains in one of his many, many interviews. The reason why shooting a thing is great for a video game is because it's very easy to tell a computer, like, create an object, and if object A hits object B, object B goes boop, and, like, it's satisfying, it's easy to program, it's easy to do, gamers get it immediately, it's not frustrating, and having to give yourself this, like, Feeling of empathy and purpose and a way to uh, engage in the world nonviolently means you have to create stuff like the game speak system and uh, actions have to be kind of stealthy and you have to go in a lot of the quote unquote action sequences are just you running away (laughs) from stuff. That you shouldn't have to.
2: Yeah, it's it's this weird stealth mixture for sure, and it has those stealth frustrations weaved into it as well. But yeah, the the game speak thing is really fascinating because it was, it was super novel at the time, and it was also done quote as a way to try to have meaningful verbal action that would also create a closer connection to our characters, a necessary ingredient designed to make you care more for the muticons you were supposed to rescue. So, what we mean by game speak is. You could give verbal commands on a screen to other Mudokons and have them follow you or wait or uh, even aggro on the uh, the other guys in, in, in some games. And it's just this really interesting thing. But I think it does that, exactly that. As, as you see, he's like befriending these different Mudokons and saving their lives. And, and you can see there's love there that makes you feel much more strongly for your main character and for the, the Mudokons in general.
3: And uh, it also prioritizes uh, kind of the goal of the game isn't to kill the sligs. The goal is to save the muticons to the point where, you know, if you just blow past all of that and just selfishly kind of pursue the goal, you get a really bad ending where all the enslaved muticons are just go like. We're not going to help him. He's a schmuck.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Here's a a great quote from Lanning about the Game Speak thing. Aggression over time equals rewards. It doesn't matter if you're shooting anything or bouncing on their heads. It's all the same concept. And so we thought if we could change the paradigm to be empathy equals rewards over time, but still not sacrifice the things that are fun about action and adventure, then we could start to get a little more heart going. And that might start to do things like pick up on the female demographic, get more women interested in games. Which, that's not a good comment. That comment doesn't hold up that well. But it meant evolving the video game character. What does a classic entertainment character do? And what does a video game character do? Classic characters talk, and they listen, and they communicate, and have relationships with other characters. They also purposely made Abe go against the trends of the time as well. Lanning said, In many video games, the main character is designed to be with a very strong, heroic image. We wanted to try to go in an entirely different direction with Abe, however. We also wanted to do something that visually looked very quirky and unusual. Conceptually speaking, we wanted to try making a character who looked a little depressed and downtrodden. You know, when you're kind of depressed about something, a character whose personality evoked that feeling. Lanning also said that Abe is not the, quote, steroided out, muscle-bound heroes you want to be. They're the poor schmucks you actually are.
3: I mean, <laughs> the... The design of Abe is very, like, ugly. I'm just going to say it. He has that weird head tentacle thing. Uh, It's supposed to be a ponytail, but it just looks like a weird tentacle. Uh, You know, his ribs are exposed. He's gawky. He has these gigantic sad eyes. His mouth is stitched shut, even though he talks plenty throughout the game. Yeah, it's not a power struggle, but there is a certain charm to it. Like, he definitely uh, captures this, like, reluctant savior kind of role and you kind of yeah you know nothing he's not like the great leader of men but you know we all want to be the helpless schmo that like at least when push comes to shove steps up to the occasion
2: Yeah, he kind of gives like a goofy vibe almost, you know, he's always sort of gets wrapped up in these situations where he has to step up and be the hero, but he's such a goofball. I mean, Uh, he
3: gets bonked on the head, he falls down a lot, he like slips on whatever the odd world equivalent of a banana peel is, I'm just going to say a scrab pie or something, (laughs) I don't know.
2: Abe was also given an infinite number of lives because this is another one of my favorite landing quotes. I wanted you to never give up. No matter how fucking sucky you were, if you stuck with it, you'd get there. And that's life, man.
3: <laughs> uh, okay, in the original that game, so they funny. gave you infinite lives, but they also had a... They had no save feature, so once yes. you started the game, you had to fucking power through it. And... um. There were so many. It's that's it's very frustrating in a puzzle platformer, especially one with kind of as many moving parts as uh, Oddworld's as Odyssey does. After, uh, after the first few screens, where yeah. you have to manage levers and traps, it, ra- and it mines. R-
2: really ramps up, man. It ramps up real quick in that first. Game. That's why, again, I'm going to keep just like loving on this new game because I feel like they perfectly pace out introducing yeah. new mechanics. Like, making you feel, like, comfortable with each screen, new screen, you know, that you encounter.
3: But there were definitely points in the original PS1 games where the screen involved, like, multiple steps leading to a chase sequence that required very specific platforming. And Abe's platforming controls are not as buttery smooth as, like, a Mario or a Sonic would be. And Again, any very, it's up, very
2: flashback. It's very deliberate movement stuff yeah. that's, that's got that tight... Puzzly platform vibe. So
3: you could easily hit a wall, like very easily, in those games. Uh, Literally, <laughs> uh, or you could get just completely devoured by uh, what? Are, what are the name of those awful little spider guys?
2: Uh, I'm gonna guess glorgies. I'm gonna guess Paramids. glorgies. Uh, Paramites. I was way off. So it took about two years with a team of 25 people, which of course is quite small, to get this game out the door. The ambient score was done by Ellen Myers, a uh, Dutch video game music composer that also did the soundtrack for LucasArts games like Star Wars Battlefront Two. Apparently an executive at GT Interactive that didn't like the game tried to get production halted by taking footage of the game to his boss, but the, the boss actually was really into what the footage was showing him, and so he ended up giving more money to the project. So that guy can go fuck himself. <laughs> it was also released on PlayStation, DOS, and Windows in 1997. And people were impressed with the graphics, especially that those tr- smooth transitions from cutscenes into the actual game. It's still—I played the OG re- version. You're probably—if you want to go play this game, you probably want to play New and Tasty, which we'll talk about later. That's like their their remaster that they put out. Really kind of, no, it's like kind of a full-on remake. It's just a very faithful remake A to re-imagining. the original. Yeah. Uh, the Soulstorm, the, the game that's like, oh, is truly a reimagining of Abe's Exodus, the newest game that released. But New and Tasty is very much like the, that original game, just with up graphics and better, more fluid gameplay. So after the first one's great success, GT is like, let's get another one out by Christmas of 1998. And we just said it was released in 97, In order to make this happen, they have to use the same game engine and they only have nine months to get this done. And this is Lanning's first true experience with Crunch which he hates. Lanning Mm -hmm. said we killed ourselves getting Abe's Exodus done in nine months. It was brutal. And uh, a change for this one is that the Mudokons you're trying to rescue now have emotional states like angry or depressed which affect how they react to Abe. Abe also gains the ability to turn into the Shrykol, a Mudokon supernatural demigod that can eviscerate all enemies and traps on a screen throughout the game. He also though, it it largely centers around like a fake soda that everyone, like an energy drink that everyone's drinking. He wanted to like have that be used in this in ways like it was napalm, like it could set things on, environments on fire, and you're putting out fires as well. All this kind of stuff. He has to scrap all that stuff, and that stuff is what we're gonna see in this newest game that was released very recently. Uh, The game... Uh, has Abe going to a Mudokon burial ground and mines that he must rescue Mudokons from who are being harvested for a new drink that I just mentioned called Soulstorm Brew. There's also even more humor in this one to offset the darker themes including Abe being able to possess his own farts to use them as explosives. Oh yeah, I made a bunch of fart noises at the beginning and then we never really went back to that. There's a dedicated fart button. There's a fart button, baby, in that first game and then obviously in this game as well. Very fun stuff. And then he farts. My favorite part is he Farts and if he farts around his Mudokon buddies, like everybody laughs, like it's the best thing ever. Very fun. Oh, uh,
3: I just want to say the thing about uh Abe's Exodus, which at, by this point the game had gotten so much positive press, and Lauren had given so many interviews that he had stated when Odyssey came out that uh, the Odd World series was part of a quintology with each new game focusing on a new character and a new game style. Yes, and um, the game Munch's Odyssey was supposed to be next. But they had to put it off because he didn't feel like the PlayStation was uh, ready for it graphically. And they kind of threw together uh, the story for Exodus. But uh, one of the weird things about it, because they can't move the Abe story along that far within the context of Exodus, is they really focus on the Gluckins and their society and their particular me uh, kind of society. Where by the end of the game, it's basically... The Gluckin show, where you're like dealing mm. with different uh, characters, such as the, ooh, like the, the, the very, the, the, the kiss assy, uh, vice president Aslick and, uh, the brewmaster and all these, like, various, uh, aspects of the corporate kind of hierarchy, where, uh, there's like a military Gluckin who's all about, like, honor and about security. And it's, it's very interesting because, um, within the general kind of uh, philosophy of Oddworld is that there is all this environmental destruction. There is all this oppression. There is all this uh, suffering. uh, But the instigators of that on a person by person level, there is no like grand evil supervillain. It's just selfish weirdos looking out for their own interests and kind of just not having empathy about it. And that's kind of It's kind of a very apt uh, comparison if you want to make a societal uh, condemnation, is that there is no sneering supervillain in the core of the earth. It's just assholes trying to make money for themselves.
2: Yeah, it's just like a bunch of middlemen. Just the worst. Um, Yeah, so the game released in January of 1999. Again, it does quite well for itself. Producer Sherry McKenna also ended up submitting a 15-minute short film of looped cinematics, to the Academy for the Best Animated Short Film category from of, of cinematics from the game uh, at the for the seventy first Academy Awards, it did not make the short list. But this was Sherry's attempt to further legitimize video games as an art form. She said, "If the game industry is ever going to have the reputation it deserves, we have to start somewhere." And we also have to understand that they're always their idea is not just we're just a video game company. Their idea is that like we're a multimedia art studio that's going to make movies using this property and these different things is going to make video games going to make it's all going to be tied in tv shows and uh, they're always aiming for this higher art for video game treatment. And this is something that, again, I mean, it, it seems like a distant memory, but it wasn't that long ago that Roger Ebert was out there, like, in debates with people over whether or not video games were an art form. So this is predating that, even, you know? And so for the longest time, games were, were treated as toys for little kids and not as art. And these were, again, people on the forefront of changing that. Uh, for the entire video game landscape, which is really cool to see. But, yes, let's move on to Munch's Odyssey. This is when things start to take a little bit of a downturn for them. Released as an Xbox exclusive, and it centers around Munch, a frog-like creature called a Gabbit, who is trying to find the last known can of Gabiar eggs in order to save his species from extinction. You know, it's always, like, both interesting and creative and also, like, a little too on the nose, You know, like it's 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 so thinly veiled that like it's just like it's almost like obvious Pixar in like in a way. But uh, yes, Lanning said Disney quote, this is funny in hindsight, by the way, because if you look at Disney now, it's hilarious that he would say this back then. Disney, quote, won the 20th century. That's not the future because kids just don't dig that anymore. We're dealing with different kids. It's a dysfunctional world. If we can embody dysfunctional characters that are really endearing, then we think that's what people are really going to connect with. In a way, he's right. I mean, Disney ends up changing a little bit, but yes, no. Uh, Disney won the 20th century and the 21st century. Uh, They're the biggest winners of all time. Uh, and everywhere, but at the same time, even Pixar, which is Disney under Disney, you know, that, that's kind of their bread and butter, right? Dysfunctional characters with the heart, you know. I, I think, I think also at the time of Odd World, especially Odd World's biggest heyday back then, yes, everything was it was that edgy, dark, grimy PlayStation era. We wanted like things were going pretty well in the economy and whatnot, so we had to triple down on our, our making our art really dark. The one thing that ages the
3: worst of all the uh, things within Oddworld is the kind of just pan third world pastiche of uh, mudakan society where like uh-huh. Abe chants like a Tibetan throat singer but his elder big face has an African like uh, you know chief mask You know, he gets like Polynesian tribal tattoos when he passes through a level. Like, it's just (laughs) there's like birds. It just feels like the. uh There's birds. He just, it feels like there's a, the entire aesthetic of this spiritual world was just taken from like a pure mood CD booklet. And yeah. like that is like a little groany now, but knowing who this guy is and knowing the exact era he was throwing all this together, there was not a single person, there was no TikTok to get called out yeah. on. He didn't, like, there's no way he knew any better.
2: Uh, It was, uh, elements of the game were inspired by landing zone experience growing up fishing in the Connecticut River and witnessing species of fish die off from acid rain and factories being built nearby. But again, and again, though, this is really novel and interesting. No one was fucking doing anything like this. I feel like now this is just normal in in games, like dealing with environmental issues, dealing with class and capitalism and things like that. But uh, back then, it was a big deal. And then it's also another big deal for the series, as much as Odyssey, the first game in th- actual 3D. They finally got there, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, also that next game as the in part of the as part of the planned quintology for the series, in which they would add a new character each game to create a battling squad by the end, which still could happen to a certain degree. Munch's design came from combining imagery of cats in UCLA medical labs and facial cream testing divisions with images of rabbits used in pharmaceutical testing, as well as images of the horrific US radiation experiments done on elderly citizens unknowingly and super mario was based on an italian plumber oh <laughs> uh, god it's so so crazy like that even just that looking at munch knowing it was based on like medical tests on rabbits and cats and el- the elderly <laughs> it's very it makes as a whole disturbing level to that character this like weird, like ugly, cute character.
3: But this was a big deal. The fact that the Xbox got a hold of one of the PlayStation's like core uh, iconic franchises. There was a lot of executive meddling. There was a lot of hype for this thing, and it just it still cracks me up that the whole thing is based on this grumpy frog man who, in the original game, every time he took a step, there was a wet slapping sound of his tail hitting the ground.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, and a lot of that switch to Xbox also for uh, for Lanning and co was largely because the Xbox did seem to have a little bit more power to get this game off the ground. It was released as a launch game, unfortunately, because it was competing with Halo, which kind of blew it out of the water. Um, I, I mean, I don't really remember much as Odyssey. I was also didn't have an Xbox, so I probably would have known about it if I was an Xbox guy. But, uh, yeah, Lanning... Uh, you know, he he struggled quite a bit more with this one uh, in comparison to those first two games. According to art director Rob Brown, he said, I do know that he wasn't happy with how the story changed over the course of production and the challenges that arose be, uh, being on different systems, problems with engineering, and then the further impact on game design, et cetera. All of these factors changed the story quite a bit from its original intention. Landing would later say he had a rough time on this one for a couple reasons. Not having experience managing a team as large as 75 people was a big one for him. He also just in general was overshooting with the tech and that held back the team creatively as well as the jump to 3D being overwhelming. So that's something I don't think about a lot. But it's sometimes you have to make a choice. Are we going to really try to make these big technical innovations happen? Because that's going to take away from some of our opportunities at storytelling or vice versa. Are we going to lean more into this creative storytelling and not worry so much about trying to be like on the forefront of technical innovation? That's got to be a difficult thing to deal with. It's a
3: very rare breed that can at the same time uh, work with a brand new engine or develop a brand new engine. And also tell a story that they want to tell within the scope that they want to tell it. It's just never a good mix when you're trying to do both at the same time.
2: And Lanning also said, just in general, it was a crazy time for the industry. It was a time where he's just watching publishers come and publishers go, dev companies up up and running and shutting down overnight. And just, it was just really wild where, where they were at. So this is where we get to Stranger's Wrath, which many believe is the best game in the series. Which is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, super not like an Abe game, really. Uh, and in fact, actually, Abe isn't in this one at all, uh, which is a first for the Odd World series and also a very different type of game from the Abe Exodus Odyssey games. It shifts between third-person and first-person perspective. It's a 3D game, uh, and it uh, centers around the Stranger, a bounty hunter who, unlike Abe, wields weapons and is strong and gritty. The projectile ammo is actually living creatures that have live their own ammo, AI. You get it? It's
3: live ammo.
2: Live ammo, baby, and it reacts differently when shot from the crossbow. Um, Jake, I think you spent more time with Stranger. Wrath than I did. I focused more on the Abe games. Uh, What what do you got for us? Uh,
3: There's a pretty passable mobile port of pretty much all the major uh, Oddworld games that have been re-released and upscaled. uh, And I played a little bit of Stranger's Wrath, uh, tried to watch some uh, playthrough videos, the cutscenes. And there is definitely some really interesting stuff on display. I feel like they got to know the engine better. They understood their limits better. Um, It for a game that shifts between third-person platforming, uh, free-world kind of mission, um, uh, open-world kind of mission structure, and first-person uh, crossbow live ammo-based uh, shooting, it handles it really well. And the uh, character of The Stranger is definitely adding some coolness that was missing from the original kind of uh, entries in the game. Uh, what's really cool is it has this cool kind of uh, Firefly, alien, Old West feel. And as the game progresses, and as you learn more about the stranger and his origins and his motivations, uh, it kind of takes on this high fantasy kind of thing to the point where it kind of ends at this like Game of Thrones battle between all the forces of this odd uh setting. And it's kind of really well done. The thing that I that took away the most from it is the bounty system in which technically all of the... Uh, live ammo types that you use are non-lethal and you can knock out every enemy in the game and tie them up and collect a or You suck them up into your, I don't I don't know how they explain it, but you get, they get sucked up into your wrist thingy and you collect a bounty that's a much higher reward than outright killing the bad guys. And so that gives every combat scenario just a little bit more consideration and a little bit more thought than just bang, bang, throwing uh, zappy bugs at the bad guys. Yeah. yeah, And the way that you're platforming, you see enemies and then you switch to uh, first person to do the shooting is really seamless. And it's kind of amazing that more games don't integrate that kind of control scheme or that kind of camera system because they did some pretty amazing things for an early Xbox game. But everything from the twists to the characters to the uh, setting really does leave an impact. And uh, it's definitely of its era, criminally underrated compared to other things that were out of.
2: Time. That's right, what I really wanted to get to here, because this game, very highly regarded by critics, if you ask fans of the franchise, many consider it to be the best game in the series, bar none, and yet it sells poorly, and it does not get very much uh, very much marketing, and this is where the EA fuckery begins. Electronic Arts uh, is unable to get a PlayStation 2 port of their Xbox version to run. This keeps them from putting much advertising in it because they want to get all those SKUs up and going, and that this is at least what Lanning says that they couldn't get a port going for PlayStation Two. Uh, they they were like ah fuck it this isn't cost effective it's only on like Xbox right now whatever so they end up um, just kind of putting it under the radar almost purposely, and the shitty follow-up to that is EA later offers to acquire the company because they're now on like a bad, you know, they're on a bad stint, obviously because EA fucked them, and then turns around and goes, alright, well, I see you're kind of in a rough spot here because of us. Why don't we buy it from you? We'll take the property and we'll suck as much money out of it as possible and then throw it in the garbage like we do with all of our other properties, and Lanning, uh, he looks towards folks like Jim Henson and Walter Disney and their unrelenting hold on their own creations. For life and how they, you know, how he would never give up his property. Lanning said, when you're a passionate content creator, giving up your property is like giving up your kids. We don't have actual kids. We only have our properties, but we're just as protective of our properties as most people are with their children. Talking, uh, taking that into consideration, why would you ever give up your kids to organizations that don't share your values? No sane person would, but most people don't look at intellectual property that way. They see it more like commercial real estate property. Something that comes and goes, something that hits or misses, and you just move on. We're way too passionate and invested in what we create to hand it over to ever-changing executives within a big corporation that see your kids as a chess piece to be used or sacrificed for the interest of their shareholders. After that, Lanning set out to audit the publishing deal that he had under EA – And it was discovered that there were, quote, millions and millions of dollars in error, not in our favor. So they gave EA the ultimatum. They said, you either pay up that fucking money or you give back 100% of, of Oddworld back to us. And they did. They gave it back. Kind of amazing. But also the fact that they were more interested in getting their property back completely than millions of dollars, is another testament to how passionate these people are about their product. I
3: assume during the background of that meeting, uh, Sherry McKenna was just bending steel rebar with her
2: hips <laughs> yeah Just yeah, to prove
3: course. that like she's capable of great agony.
2: Apparently, apparently, when they were walking into the EA building, she was like, this is a really cool building. They were like, yeah, it is, isn't it? And then she said, mindify. And they were like, what? And then she lifted the building up.
3: <laughs> she's a very strong lady.
2: Just so you know. I can do this. And uh, terrified. They they were so frightened. They threw up on their own shoes.
4: Hey, Mom. First things first. Thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help. And yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell.
1: Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen For a different kind of addiction treatment, visit caron.org slash lost. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at Canva.com. Designed for work.
2: Canva. But unfortunately, if you're a dev without a publisher to back you financially... You're going to have a hard time. And in April 2005, Lanning announced that the studio would cancel all projects and depart from the industry entirely. According to one employee at the time, quote, Quite honestly, they had one of the best teams in the industry, and they just threw it away. Lanning referred to things outside of his controls the reason why they had to close down. He actually referred to them as foo bars. Lanning said... In the financial space, they don't talk about how many games got lost in the distribution company's warehouse when commercials were running. Or the next game, how many territories were lost because of poor strategy by a console's install that completely missed our number one performing territory. Or the fourth game, how many series of controls happen where you're supposed to have a multi skewed product. We don't have it. And then we wind up with zero marketing campaign and exposure. None of that is written in the financial history books. We're looking at this as creators and we're going, we don't. Don't Believe that this is what should have happened, but we can understand why it did, and we can understand that these were factors completely beyond our control.
3: Oh, yeah, forgot about the Europe connection because Europe yeah. loves Oddworld, it yes. totally fits in with that puzzle platformer tradition that we talked about. Even the jinkiness that we talked about is like kind of just not even a factor for European gaming fans, and uh, a thing like the Xbox that would have such a small install base over there. definitely would have fucked with their projections.
2: So they go back to that original intention of, this is not just a video game company. This is a a creative production company. Lanning said, we said when we set out, we wanted to create these stories as movies and we wanted to create new fresh properties as well. But as long as we are continuing to run an internal development company, then we're very constrained in what we have the ability to do. Because in-house game production for a third-party developer is becoming more and more time-consuming. So we chose to dissolve the interior production element and instead focus on the properties." in a larger context. So instead, they opt to go into the the Hollywood production route. and, And that is to get the funding, plan the game, and then freelance hire the game makers or other media freelancers depending on the product and make their games that way without, you know, hopefully without a publisher. So... Their next product is really interesting. It is, it is a multimedia thing. Uh, it is a film called Citizen Siege, an online video game tied to the film called Wage Wars, and also an HD machinima series. Going back to our rooster teeth episode, machinima, this is around the time that is starting to break through where you're taking, you know, video game content and repurposing making little movies out of uh manipulating video games uh, and recording them which is which is interesting they're getting into that game it just shows how much they were always trying to be on the cusp of new technology the film was a sci-fi dark political action thriller not in the odd world universe but very odd world like quote where current global conditions are extrapolated into a frightening near future where democracy is all but disintegrated under the rule of global corporatism and it's essentially about corporations in a credit racket that involve taking human flesh from those that owed them and one man on life support going out to retrieve the humanity that those corporations took from him. So again, very much in the line of Oddworld, uh especially storytelling concepts and stuff, but just not called Oddworld, not featuring an Oddworld character. Uh, and the idea was to take a property and get deals with all these different media groups to make a game tied to a film, tied to a machinima series, etc. So they get the film going. Uh, they get a film greenlit. They've got a 40 to $60 million budget they're trying to pull in. And they're in the early stages of development. But then the global financial crisis happens. And this just totally kneecaps all of these plans. Mm. Also, it's just, like, really hard to do what they're trying to do. <laughs> they're also just trying to, like, get a bunch of different media companies to, like, buy their thing, but then also let them go make another thing, essentially. So now they're at another crossroads. They do this crazy-ass thing called X-Mob. Lanning becomes inspired by social media and YouTube and does this whole thing, this whole experiment, where he feels the newest IP is, quote, People this is you know again youtube's the, all the rage um it's like people generating content is all the rage, and he tries to figure out his own version of that, so the idea here it's kind of an interesting concept even today there's the idea but it, but I could see all the holes in, in making it happen. The idea is there's this big library of media, kind of like YouTube, and folks would gather together and group watch stuff from the library to bring passionate people together to share media uh, in order to share media around instead of being told by a quote corporate funded media landscape that has its own agenda (sighs) that is anything but democratic in nature and a massive misinformation machine that serves Wall Street the White House it's in Bill's house it's in Jim's house we're going to get these guys yeah yeah so I get what he's saying and he's trying to be like let's no longer have corporations tell us what media to enjoy let's create spaces where we share media Together um, And then
3: have the platform use algorithms to determine which individual users get to decide what gets viewed. And then it creates a feedback loop and creates something arguably way worse and destructive than the corporate <laughs> guidance we sought to replace it
2: with. Yes, 100%. Yeah, but uh, either way, the project ended up being too much for Oddworld Inhabitants to handle. It ends up folding. So, luckily, around this time... Digital downloading becomes a big deal. Steam, everybody loves it. Gabe Newell at Valve approaches Oddworld Inhabitants saying, hey, we want to get Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Exodus up on Steam. Those are great games. want to get it down. Uh, And this ends up uh, with them meeting with a small UK developer team called Just Add Water, and especially its founder, Stuart Gilray, happens to be Big ass fan of these games, and wants to see this quintology to happen. Like, really wants to see Lorne actually, uh, Lauren Lanning actually finish this thing because he's such a big fan. And so, uh, Gil Ray's like, "Hey, we can take these games and we could super enhance them, make them like way better. You know, update them in all these ways." Uh, especially uh, with the, the detailed environments. That was a big thing for Gil Ray personally. While also pushing Lan- Lanning to finish the Quintology, they strike a deal to get back to working on Oddworld games. And the first thing they do, it's kind of a test to test out uh, uh, Just Add Water, is a PC remaster of Stranger's Wrath. And uh, because uh, because Oddworld inhabitants were such sticklers about keeping their IP, they had full access to all their games, all the assets. They got it all. They can share it all with Just Add Water, which is fucking awesome in terms of getting these games ported to PC and other consoles and, and to getting them up and doing all that good stuff. Lanning said, I thought the games would be disposable. What I didn't expect was that 10 years later, after Abe released in 1997 on Steam, people were actually willing to start buying again. And that is a really interesting quote, like, and it makes so much sense because as consoles upgrade you lose those old games or maybe you have an old console to play the old games on but you're that guy you know and uh, and then all of a sudden the whole landscape changed where now I'm downloading digital download I don't even need physical media therefore I don't oh I don't need a publisher as much as I used to need a publisher because I'm not we're not selling discs we're not selling game cases and booklets we're just uploading this shit online and getting it straight to the consumer it
3: should be said that there were pc releases for a lot of the uh odd world games and they did not age poorly and there were tons of fan uh efforts to preserve them and keep them running on modern machines so these upgrades so these remasters and re-releases were desperately needed
2: and yeah they and they're putting they're funneling that money into new projects immediately it's like the best thing that could have ever happened to them honestly this this digital download revolution that happened in games and it just solves their publisher problem kind of overnight. So that's where we get to new and tasty. Fans seem to really enjoy those remasters of *Stranger's Wrath*. It was also one of *Munch's Odyssey*, but they were really pushing for a full remake of the original 2D platformer that got them hooked in the first place. So what they did—they now nowadays uh, they refer—it's referred to as 2.5D, as it is uh, a 2D platform game, but it's done with 3D technology using Unity, and they create this like beautiful. You know, very devoted to the original script, though, remake of of Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. And it's totally awesome. It, it, they they strike a deal with Sony to put games out on the PS4. That was first being announced. And uh, so they're getting some hubbub in that way. They, they actually, interestingly enough, have a lot more trouble getting their game on the Xbox. Hmm. Microsoft seems, and there's another really interesting tell when it comes to the video game industry, Microsoft is a little behind in the times at this point. And so they have all these requirements for getting a game uploaded on their store and getting a game uploaded on Xbox Arcade, which was they were pushing really hard at the time. Oh, size and limitations, so, I
3: think, was a weird thing with Xbox Arcade. Size
2: limitations. Also, they just needed it to have a partnership with a publisher in order to get the game on their store. And that is actually what why, again, PS4 ended up winning out at that time when it came to getting indie games up on their store over Xbox, getting just all sorts of different things, because they were a bit stuck in their ways at this point. What's interesting is now it's flipped on its head, and Xbox is being lauded for having more regulations, while PS4 is the one who had their whole issue with Cyberpunk being on their store. <laughs> uh And after you remove it, because they were a little too... Get it up on there. Let's just get it up. And uh, I think that kind of fucked them over more recently. But back in the day, they had the leg up by by allowing this sort of game to get uploaded and whatnot. So, um, yeah, they I believe they do eventually get New and Tasty out for Xbox, but it was definitely stalled uh, for quite some time. But
3: it's the perfect solution for what uh, Oddworld Inhabitants is doing because... Yeah, uh, A game like Munch's Odyssey was a monumental failure for selling 600,000 copies because it needed how many extra millions of dollars for marketing, how many extra millions of dollars for distribution. And then of those 600,000 sales, they only got like 7% of those when all the publisher cuts were taken. Now they can offer a new game modestly priced for anywhere from like 20 to 30 to even $10 on sale. And those original 600,000 diehard fans are all going to buy it. And it all just kind of snowballs. And all of a sudden, they're a business again.
2: Yeah, it's kind of miraculous and amazing. I love this, this. This is definitely one of those big redemption story episodes where they put out these games. People love them. They fell on dark times and then totally pulled it back together. Like It's like the world around them caught up with what they were trying to do. And that's where we get to Oddworld Soulstorm. And I know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I've recommended this game in this episode. But, guys... Definitely check this game out it's really cool. It looks amazing i'm i I will just give it this guarantee. I started playing it for this episode. normally, I would probably do the episode and then never look at it again. I am definitely going to keep playing this game like later tonight like i it is really really beautiful looking The gameplay feels awesome i'm just enjoying i'm enjoying just playing a few screens at a time. nothing crazy i'm not like. Obsessed with it, but it's definitely something I wanted to mess with every day, you know, and get a few more screens further. And you know, those cutscenes are so—I I just feel like it's the culmination of everything they've been working towards. Just the cutscenes are beautiful; it, fu- it absolutely looks on the same level as like a Pixar or something like that. The gameplay—I feel like they totally tightened it up, made it night and feel nice, made it feel really smooth and solid. The comedy's great. Added plentiful
3: checkpoints and save features. Plenty,
2: plentiful checkpoints and save, but but not. There's not, at least to my knowledge on the PS4, there's not like a quick save button and that's fine. I feel like they balance the challenge enough. Like they make me, you know, they, they don't, they're at least not pulling me too hard on, uh, or or pushing me too hard on like getting a lot done every screen. It feels like the proper amount so that if I die, I'm not like, I don't want to do this again. Uh, at least thus far but yes it's an intimidating game because like especially with the saving all the different uh uh different mukadons and and Mutakans rather and um all the secrets i have a lot of weird fomo playing this game like i'm i'm <laughs> i'm fucking up or i'm not you know, I'm not. I didn't find a room. I should have found, you didn't and there was smash like
3: crates holding. The, you got a bronze smashing of and, smi- and crate smashing. You idiot. You fool.
2: <laughs> but but it is really fun.
3: The game really does a good job adding kind of uh, filling in the missing pieces of the Oddworld lore. That we're kind of yeah. missing from the other games. Uh, you learn more about Abe. you people actually point out like, "Hey, how come your mouth is shut? You, no one else is like that That's really weird. yeah, you learn about the Mutokon, uh history a little bit, and the other Mudokons are given more personality. He now has like more supporting characters it's honestly, it really does take everything and bring it up to a new level. It's kind of impressive.
2: Lanning said, there was a deeper, darker and more sinister story that we never got to tell and Soulstorm gives us the opportunity to flesh out more meat on the bones of an original spine but retell the fable from a very different angle and that of course is because largely that tight production schedule they found themselves in after the first game was made and they had to throw away so much story content and so many even game mechanics they planned to utilize for that sequel that never never came to be because of time. Lanning said, we decided to bite the bo- it and said, quote, if we'll do that, let's go back to the original vision of the Quintology and focus on what the second game ideally was supposed to be. Let's reboot the idea of that five-part epic where we're at number two. If we can do that well, if we can keep the trajectory of Oddworld growing again and get more into the AAA space where we had been and get there on our own with the audience's help, that would be a much Different and better existence. Lanning says it's the biggest game they built and a completely new game that ignores the original. I could not agree more with it being the biggest game they built. It is so obvious. This is like, again, it's really remarkable. It is on a triple A level, it looks incredible. And yet, it's definitely a group of people saying we want to cut out these big publishers, we want to essentially fight back just like our characters are fighting back in the games and make this thing ourselves and get it directly to our audience. Lanning said, opening movies are getting shorter. People are trying to dial more for the free-to-play audience. We went the opposite (laughs) direction. We want an eight-minute opening movie, and they do, and it's fucking rad. It looks awesome. The story feels great. The game plays more in the 3D space while still on Rails in what is marketed as 2.9 D... Some of the and, and I think by that I would say if you've ever played like the Trials games the way that that feels it's very much on a 2D rails but it has this really beautiful ability to feel incredibly 3D that is what that game the, looks the like the
3: environments have depth even within a 2D plane yes. movement
2: and there's some extra, you know, there's a crafting mechanic. There are some extra little things that, that, that bring it up to date as well. But I highly recommend this game. I'm really, like, kind of bowled over by how good it is. Mm. So definitely check it out if you have the ability to. And you know what? I think it's actually, I thought it was free on PSN, but I think it's just if you're a PS5 owner. I don't care. I paid the full price, and I, I felt so good about doing that, knowing this story. It was one of those interesting moments where I was like, "Ah, oh, I don't know if I want to like pay." And I was like, "Yeah, I do." I just learned about these people's story. They're honest, hardworking, creative people. I want to give them my money. Yeah. You know, like it was kind of an interesting uh, situation with that. So, yeah, that's my my take on Soulstorm, Jake. I've got a couple of quotes to close this out. Do you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we quote? Down the doors of this puppy.
3: Um, The obsession with characters like Jim Henson and Walt Disney really reflects kind of this bizarre journey that this Odyssey, if you will, um, (laughs) that uh, Lauren and company have taken to create this series. It really, uh, you know, it stayed true to its guns. It has a message. It's totally unlike anything else available right now. Uh, for the past 30 years at this point it's it's just very weird and within the realm of video games like which was almost a compromise this was just supposed to be their foot in the door to make movies to become the next pixar and yet like these kind of uh, a little bit set in their ways old school people kind of learn to embrace uh this medium and kind of elevate it and serve uh, a purpose it's it's a truly unique story there's very few developers in the world, like Oddworld inhabitants. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Well, I don't know, story, create IP companies if just Ed Water and uh, what's the, and a bunch of other uh, farm uh, studios help them actually make the games. I don't know, it's complicated.
2: Yeah, and uh, I do just love this guy's perspective on creating art, on creating games, combining those two things. And so here's a couple of quotes that I think summed all that up well. This is in a Polygon interview that Lauren Lanning did. When content is deeper and more meaningful, then you can still create highly digestible and widely consumable entertainment products. Or you can make Britney Spears albums. And by the way, no not Britney Spears. I love Britney Spears, but this is his example. The games industry has more Britney Spears-class content than Pink Floyd. We just always aim to deliver more of the latter. Uh, Great content lasts the test of time. Big Pop for the moment evaporates from the history books more quickly." Uh, And then this is the final quote I have from Lanning from uh, an interview for Game City Nights. It is people's responsibility in the world today to stand up and stop being pushovers and get off your knees and stop just taking these lies and bullshit that are screwing up our planet, that are screwing up your retirement funds, that are screwing up the value of your home, of your business. Look at what these people who claim to be running things are doing today. And these are frauds. So it's always been, in my opinion, that it's up to individuals to see differently, that believe they have an opinion that others might value, to stand up and speak up. And when we don't do that, we live in more of a world we don't like we don't care for when we do that we connect closer with people around us it has always been about instead of just offering a nutritionless snickers bar then maybe it can have some vitamin value as well and maybe that vitamin value is just a little bit of a shift in how we perceive things hell yeah and i hope there are more people in games more and more coming in that want to say something and not just make a fun game making a fun game is awesome too Love it. But the bad guys in Oddworld
3: games are it's definitely these are games where the lesson isn't just being evil is bad. These are games that actually leave you with something to think about.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. And it gave me so much respect for this series that I largely overlooked throughout my childhood and even into now. And I'm so glad they got this new game out. It had been in development for a very long time. Maybe that was a part of his rebellion against Crunch because he spoke also a lot about anti-crunch in video games. He's very adamant about that. And uh, yeah, I think it's just really cool that they got this thing out and then it feels and looks and is as good as it is. So congratulations, Oddworld. Thank you again, Genji, for supporting this episode. Episode And thank you for listening. If you'd like to support us further, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We have bonus content every week for just five bucks a month. Our study sessions are 15 bucks a month. Every week we hang out and study that next topic we're covering. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. Really fun group. Check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check me out on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenatorsho. Uh, I stream Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Afternoon now for me, but nights on the East Coast. And uh, we hope you come by and say hello. I always love when Wizards and the Bruiser fans pop in, say what's up. Uh, it's always a blast.
3: Jake! I really got to press the flesh for that Patreon because I don't know if you know this, but besides just getting... Uh, hundreds of bonus episodes to help uh, fill your commutes and train rides and chore hours uh, that uh, you also help us live as people on planet Earth. So that is just a real great bonus that you get when you go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung, where you can read all of my thoughts, plops, and get tasty little nuggets for upcoming uh, bits of research for episodes.
2: Hell yeah. And always remember, never stop bruising. Keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.